We're in Colossians chapter 1, and we will be starting in verse 9. Uh, last week, we started our study in the book of Colossians. The theme of the book is complete in Christ, and we looked at the first eight verses. And so today, we'll just be picking up where we left off, and Lord willing, that's the way we'll be through most of uh, 2021. We'll just be plowing our way through this powerful little book. But we'll be starting in Colossians 1 and verse 9. The title of today's message is Partners in Prayer. From 1923 to 1927, Dr. Raymond Edmond dedicated four years of his life as a medical missionary in the jungles of Ecuador. There he is pictured on the screen. His ministry was among the Inca Indians and while treating people there in Ecuador, Dr. Edmund contracted typhus fever. He staggered out of the jungles desperately ill, and he was carried to the hospital in the capital city of Quito, and the doctors gave a grim prognosis. They told his wife, Mr. Edmund will be dead by morning. And so they advised Dr. Edmund's wife to go ahead and prepare for his funeral. So she went ahead and purchased a coffin. She arranged for a burial service. She even took her wedding dress and dyed it black as she didn't have anything else to wear for such an occasion. But however, thousands of miles away in the state of Massachusetts, one of Dr. Edmund's dear friends, the Reverend Joseph Evans, interrupted a prayer meeting because he said that he felt in his spirit a deep, an unexplainable burden that they should pray for Raymond. So he suggested to his church that they stop what they were doing and pray. And for the next several hours, that's all they did. They just prayed for this burden that had been laid on the heart of their pastor. And that was until Reverend Evans gained assurance from the Lord that he had been heard and he cried out, Praise the Lord, the victory is won. Well, thousands of miles away down in Ecuador, little did they know just how close Dr. Edmund was at death's door. The story goes that Dr. Edmund did miraculously recover from that typhus fever, and his doctors, who already had him dead and buried, were absolutely stunned. In fact, this man, Raymond Edmund, not only recovered, but he went on to serve the Lord for 40 years as a pastor and as the president of Wheaton College. What an amazing story. And what an inspiring reminder about the power of intercessory prayer. And if you're a child of God and you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you know what it's like, as that story revealed, to be burdened for the life of somebody else. An unexplainable touch or move that God puts on your spirit where all you can do is stop and pray. Now, that name, intercessory prayer, don't be turned off by that. It's a fancy-sounding title, but what it really means, it's the ministry of praying for the physical and the spiritual needs of others. Somebody has described it like this, loving our neighbor on our knees. And that's a great description. And so with that definition, then, we could, we could certainly make the case that perhaps the greatest thing that we could do for our friends, our children, our spouse, our pastor, our church family is to pray for them. What greater thing could we do than to take that person, their needs, 
their situation, all that is going on in their life, and bring it to the very throne of God. Ian e. Bounds is a great writer of many years ago, and he wrote a volume uh, called Power Through Prayer. And in uh, that book, he has a chapter entitled, Preachers Need the Prayers of the People. And in that chapter, he suggests that if you find your pastor's sermons bland and unedifying, then start praying for your pastor, and two things will happen. Either, number one, his preaching will get better, or number two, your hearing will get better. So if you don't like the way I've been preaching, then pray for me, and I hope that one of those two things will be the case. But in that book, Ian Bounds wrote this. He said, The praying ones are to the preacher as Aaron and Hur were to Moses. By their prayers they hold up the hands and decide the battle that is raging around them. He said this, The people of God must lift up the man of God if they are to do anything for God. Now how often do we at times feel burdened to pray for someone, but the sad reality is that we may not know how to actually pray for them. And that's usually when we resort to generic type prayers where we say, Lord, be with Bob in a special way. We really don't even know what that means. It's just something that we've Learn in our Christianese. Or we say, Lord, bless the whole Jones family. Well, that's not very specific, is it? How do we know that God will answer that prayer? And I tell you, I'm guilty of that as well. And sometimes I would wager that our prayers are kind of like shotgun blasts. We just uh, loft up a prayer and let it go and pray that one little pellet will at least make it to the target, which is the throne of God. I heard about a little boy who was learning how to pray. And he said his nightly prayers right there beside his bed in the presence of his mother. And every night he kind of prayed the same thing. I mean, if you've had children or grandchildren, you know about that. They kind of get into a rut and a pattern. He'd say, Lord, uh, uh, bless all the missionaries around the world. And uh, uh, bless my church. And bless my school teacher. And, and be with Daddy as he goes to work. And he kind of went on down the line. But this night it was different. As he got to the end of his prayer, uh, the little boy said, And Lord, make my mama pregnant with a baby boy. And of course, when he said that, after amen, his mother didn't waste a moment. She said, Son, why would you pray for something like that? And he said, Because mama, I want somebody to boss around. <laughs> so sometimes our prayers are like that. We pray for things that are amiss, or we pray generically. But in Colossians chapter 1, we have a passage that's going to teach us how to be better partners in prayer. The passage before us is a very practical guide on how to be an intercessory prayer warrior. Now remember, as I mentioned last week, that Paul never made it to Colossae. He never visited this church in person. He was in prison at Rome at the time that he wrote this letter. So he had never met these people whom he is addressing. And that raises a, a fair question. How would you pray for somebody you've never met? Well, that was the thing that Paul was doing here in chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. Here we have a prayer of Paul recorded on behalf of these Colossian believers. And I think that one reason why the Holy Spirit has seen fit to preserve this prayer over so many years is because here is a great pattern of prayer that we can adopt 
as we think about being a better partner in prayer. We can pray these things for ourselves, but more importantly, we can help to pray these things for others as we take up that mantle of prayer warrior. So, it's a list here of four things that we can always pray for. Number one is this, if you're taking notes, and we read about it in verse 9, we should pray for spiritual wisdom. Pray for spiritual wisdom. Look at what verse 9 says. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will, here it is, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Notice that. Last phrase, spiritual wisdom and understanding. The first thing that should strike you about this prayer is what Paul did not pray for. He did not pray for their finances. Uh, he did not pray that the church would grow numerically. He did not pray for their health. He did not pray about their problems. He did not even pray for their safety. <laughs> Paul prayed, opening up here, for their spiritual maturity, that they would grow and be filled with the knowledge of God's will, and notice that phrase, spiritual wisdom. So, this is the mark of a mature Christian, is that they learn how to discern God's will through God's wisdom. And friend, there have been times in my ministry where I have really needed some supernatural wisdom of God to make it through whatever challenge I was being presented at that moment. For instance... You preach a sermon, you come in on Monday morning, you get a phone call or an email, uh, Pastor, can I have a word with you? I, 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 I didn't agree with what you said in that sermon, or I don't like the way that you said that. You need spiritual wisdom at that moment to navigate that situation. Or how about this? Somebody comes up and says, Pastor, I, I've got a special request in my life. Um, I see I've got this family member, uh, they didn't go to church and... They've passed away and they need somebody to do a funeral. I know you've never met them and I know you don't know all the situation, but could you do a funeral for this person who was lost and didn't know Jesus? I'm telling you, in that situation, you need spiritual wisdom to know how to go about it. How about all of last year? Boy, that was a test of spiritual wisdom. Pastor, how are you going to reopen your church? Pastor, how are you dealing with the virus? When and how are you going to reopen? Are you going to make your people wear masks? How are you going to do social distancing, Pastor? What about your online presence? And on and on and on down the list, confronted with a situation I'd never been through before, and buddy, did I need spiritual wisdom like never before. You need it as well. You need wisdom to know what to do at the right time to say the right thing. You need wisdom to know how to witness to that lost friend that you've been trying to reach and trying to muster up the courage to know what to say. You need wisdom to know how to wait on God for Him to open a door in your life. You need wisdom to know how to resist a trolling comment on your Facebook page that somebody's put in every fiber within your being is angry and you just want to let them have it. You need spiritual wisdom in that situation. You see, the way that you know the will of God is by applying the wisdom of God. And the way you know the wisdom of God is you have to know the Word of God. You see, the wisdom of God and the will of God are inseparably linked to the Word of God. Notice what Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says about this. 
Verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. Now notice the connection that we have in that verse. When you trust in the wisdom of God, that's verse 5. Trust in the Lord, lean not on your understanding. Then He will, verse 6, reveal the will of God. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. You see the connection there? So here's one take-home lesson you may want to write down. You can't expect to know the will of God if you don't know the Word of God. I would submit to you that many of the life decisions that we fret about, hey friend, God has already spoken about it. You don't need a crystal ball. All you need is an open Bible. There are three tiers to knowing God's will. First, there is what we would call God's sovereign will. That's revealed in the Bible. That's the overarching plan of the ages, which cannot be thwarted. It's God's great story of history from Genesis to Revelation. It's a sovereign plan of God. No man can thwart it. Amen? There's a second aspect of God's will. That's God's moral will. And that is how God expects us to live in holiness and righteousness, to know the difference between right and wrong, to be able to discern between black and white. And boy, don't we need that today in the muddy culture that we live in where everything is confused and backwards and where evil is called good and good is called evil. We need to know the wisdom of God. Then there is a third tier to knowing the will and the wisdom of God. That's God's individual will. That's His detailed plan for you and me. And that usually falls into this category of questions where we say, Lord, what job should I take? Uh, Lord, should I go into ministry? Should I be a missionary? Oh, Lord, are you calling me to something higher? Lord, should I go to this school? Should I marry this person? Those are the questions that we really want the answer to. But you know, God doesn't give us an entire unfolding plan of our lives because He wants us to learn to live by wisdom and by faith. Adrian Rogers may have said it best. He said, the will of God is not a road map. It's a relationship. And when you know the heart of the Father and you know the wisdom of His Word you know the right direction to take. When I was wrestling for the call of ministry, I met with a group of men very early in the morning. I went with my dad, and I believe maybe Brother Clifford, you were there. And we had a very early morning prayer meeting on Wednesdays. And as I talked to those men and let them know about my call for ministry, I'll never forget what one old saint, one grizzled old saint of God prayed for me. In fact, he's gone on to be with the Lord. Bless his heart. But I remember what he prayed for me in one of those meetings. He said, Lord, if you've called Derek to the ministry, may he find no other pleasure in anything else, and may he never stoop to be a king. And that simple prayer had so much profound wisdom in it because I thought about it if we pray like that. We should always seek two things. The two things that were in that prayer. Clarity, that is to know God's will. And courage, which is to do God's will. See, a lot of us are waiting for God to tell us what His will is for our life so that we can approve of it and say, well, this fits with my agenda, my plans. But you know what? The hardest part is not knowing God's will, is doing God's will. Amen? 
So Paul prays, verse 9, that they would have spiritual wisdom. When you know the wisdom of God, you'll be able to discern what is the will of God. Then he adds another prayer item in verse 10. He says that we ought to pray for a satisfying walk. A satisfying walk. Verse 10, read with me. He says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. The next item that Paul prayed for the Colossians was that they would bring honor and that they would bring a pleasing aroma to Jesus Christ. Now when you see that term walk in the New Testament that Paul uses here in verse 10, it always refers to a Christian's pattern of daily living. This is an exhortation for Christians to practice what they preach. To be the same person they are on Sunday as they are on Monday through Saturday. That they allow their belief and their behavior to line up. You know what the greatest problem is that keeps people away from church? It's hypocritical Christians who don't practice what they preach. Now, in other words, what Paul is talking about here is having a good testimony in the world. Walk in such a way that you honor Christ in all that you say and think and do. Now, he gives a very similar command in Ephesians 4 and verse 1. Look what he says there. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. In other words, walk in such a way that you don't bring shame to the name of Jesus. That you aren't a reproach to the testimony and the work of the church. Romans 13, 13, another very similar command. Let us walk, here he says, properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness or sexual immorality or sensuality, not in quarreling or in jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Where are the preachers today who are standing and telling their congregations there is such a thing as sin. This isn't just a free-for-all. You have to live in accordance to the walk of Jesus Christ. That sin is still sin. And there are some things that God has said, this is forbidden. Honor me with how you live and what you say and what you do with your life. There's a lot of people out there who will never read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But I'll tell you what, they'll read your life. And if you send a hypocritical message or a contradictory message, they're going to say, well, if that's what Jesus is all about, what do I need Him for? He lives just the same way that I do. Remember uh, hearing Pastor Johnny Hunt, he told a story about a, about a Chinese pastor that they had invited to their church. They had a relationship with this Chinese pastor. They had their church down there in Woodstock, Georgia. And, uh, you know, the Chinese believers... They're very serious about their walk with Christ. I mean, look at the persecution that they face. They don't have a bed of roses like what we have had here in America for many years. To be a Christian in China is really a call to persecution and to walk the straight and narrow. But as Johnny Hunt was visiting with this Chinese pastor who they brought to their church to tell the church about what was going on in that part of the world, he asked him, he said, Sir, he said, after spending some time here in the United States... What do you think about the Christians over here? And that Chinese pastor looked at him and he said, American Christians do too much talky-talky, not enough (laughs) walky-walky. And that's a great way to put it. We talk a big game, 
We type a big game and post it on Facebook. Look at me. I'm a great Christian. Look at how I live. But our walk doesn't really line up. So how do we have a walk that satisfies the Lord? How do we fulfill this verse? Well, there's no better example than Jesus, right? And I would submit that the reason why Jesus pleased His heavenly Father is because He was surrendered every moment, every second, every day of His life to the will of the Father. Look what He said in John 6, 38. He said, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of Him who sent me. That's why when He was baptized and the heavens opened, the audible voice of the Father said, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. You want to please the Father? You want to have an honorable walk that glorifies God and brings a blessing to the name of Jesus? Be surrendered to Him. Jesus did it in Gethsemane prayer, didn't He? The darkest moment of his life, when he was sweating great drops of blood, he gave that simple statement of surrender. Luke twenty-two forty-two, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. That's how you have a pleasing walk. You surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. Write this down. Here's a little simple principle. A life satisfying to the Lord is a life fully surrendered to the Lord. I'll say it again. We can leave it up on the screen for just a second. A life satisfying to the Lord is a life fully surrendered to the Lord. Here's the secret of surrender. The secret of surrender is winning by losing. You lose yourself in the Lord Jesus Christ. You give up your small, selfish plan for God's grand and eternal purposes. You learn that in weakness, He gives you strength. You learn that in surrendering to Him, not only do you get the desires of your heart, but you get things that you didn't even imagine, and you get blessed in ways that you could not have thought. A.W. Tozer, he had a great insight here. Listen to what he said. He said, quote, The man or woman who is totally surrendered to God's will, God's way, cannot make a wrong turn. Now think about that. If you're really doing God's will and you're in the will of God... Whether you go right or whether you go left, can you make a wrong turn? He said, no, you can't. And then he said this, God can do more with our lives than we could ever do on our own. Amen? That's the secret of surrender. That's how we have a satisfying walk. By the way, our walk of surrender is never tested quite like when we go through suffering and adversity. I was reading this week about Richard Rumbrand. You may not know his name, but he wrote a great book many years ago called Tortured for Christ. And in that book, he talks about how, as a Romanian pastor during the days of dark communism in his country, how he was thrown in prison. He had an unwillingness to stop preaching the gospel, and that landed him in a basically a gulag. He discovered, though, in that prison, that one of the best ways that he could be a witness in that dark place was to do two things to the guards who beat him every day. Number one was to give him a scrap of his stale bread. And number two was to pray for them. Just like Jesus did when he was on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Here's what he wrote. He said, a flower, if you bruise it under your feet, rewards you by giving it perfume. 
Likewise, Christians tortured by the communists rewarded their torturers with love. Many officers of the secret police to whom we witnessed became Christians and were happy to later suffer for having found our Christ. He said, such are the blessings of being surrendered to Christ even in suffering. You want to bring glory and honor to the name of Jesus Christ, you be surrendered to Him so that no matter what comes in your life, financial reversal, cancer, an unexpected death, whatever life throws at you, you say, as I go through this trial, as I am in this storm, I've made the decision that I'm going to serve Jesus Christ, whether it's good or bad, whether I'm in the valley or on the mountaintop, I'm pointing people to my Savior. And friend, that's a pleasing walk to the Lord because people start looking at your testimony. They start observing how you are living and they say, you ought to have abandoned this God by now, but all you do is shine forth the light of Jesus. What is it about Him that makes you live that way? I've got to have a taste of this Lord Jesus Christ. You see, even if God has you in a dank, dark, rat-infested prison, our prayer should be, Lord, high when getting up today to do Your will, no matter what it costs, no matter where it leads Lord help me live in such a way that when I lay down this earthly tabernacle I can hear those sweet words as I enter the gates of eternity well done good and faithful servant I don't know about you friend but I want to have a crown to cast at his feet one day I'm serious about living for Christ I bet my whole eternity on it. I don't want to be empty-handed in the presence of my Savior one day. I want to walk in a manner that's worthy of the life that He laid down for me so that when I get into the gates of glory, I can say, step aside, let me at His feet. I've got some praise to offer Him. You see, Paul said pray for this. Pray for spiritual wisdom. And then he said, pray for a satisfying walk. Then he said, number three, pray for superior works. Pray for superior works. Look what he said in verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing unto Him. Here's the second part. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Notice the phrase, bearing fruit in every good work. So Paul prayed that as the Colossians would grow in their faith that it would be evidenced by spiritual fruit. Friend, there's no such thing as a fruitless Christian. If you examine your life and you don't see spiritual fruit, you need to check and make sure you've got a root. Because that means you're not connected to the vine. Jesus said in John 15, He said, He who abides in me, I in him, bears much fruit for Without me, you can do nothing. If you're connected to the vine, which is Jesus Christ, you are going to bear fruit in your life. Now, we know we aren't saved by works, but you know what? We are saved to do good works. And I want my light to shine. I want people to have fruit that they can partake of because of the indwelling life of Jesus Christ coursing through me. Now, the Bible talks about several varieties of spiritual fruit. So when Paul talks about bearing fruit, what's he thinking of? Well, if you search the Bible, you find at least four kinds of spiritual fruit. I'm sure there's more. But here's what I found. 
conversions. Jesus talks about that in John 15, verse 16. Anytime you can lead somebody to the Lord Jesus Christ, that's spiritual fruit. Amen? How about character? That refers to the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, meekness, self-control, and so on. There's the fruit of contributions. Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians 9, that it is better to give than it is to receive. Anytime you bring the fruit of your labor, a tangible evidence of your work, which is money, and you offer it to God, it's a contribution to build the kingdom of God, and Jesus says that is spiritual fruit because it carries on His kingdom, the preaching of His word, and the winning of souls. Then there is the... The spiritual fruit of conduct, Hebrews 12, 11 talks about that. That we live in such a way that we bring fruit. You know, growing up, I grew up in the country, South Hominy. Great place to grow up. Mountains everywhere. Creeks to wade in. Trails to explore. Gardens to get into. Blackberry bushes to eat the berries on. And I lived beside my papaw. And my papa, he was one of these mountain men, but he had a green thumb. And right in between my daddy's house and my papa's house was an old apple tree. I don't even know what kind of apple tree it was. All I know is that every spring and summer, it produced these little green apples. And them green apples were perfect to put in a homemade slingshot. And I could shoot my sisters and shoot the chickens and the neighborhood cats. And it was perfect for a homemade slingshot. And I'm telling you, I had that thing down where I could, I could make it go. I could zip them from a long distance away. But I remember one summer, that, that old apple tree that sat in between my papa's house and my daddy's house, it got damaged in a bad thunderstorm. And I can remember my papa going out there and cutting it down. And when he cut it down, I remember thinking, well, that's the last of that apple tree. We'll never, we'll never throw apples at each other from that tree again. I mean, those apples weren't fit for eating, but they were good for throwing. Well, several years went by, and uh, last summer, I was stunned. As I walked through my dad's yard, I looked over at where that stump was, and there was a new tree, a new shoot growing out of that stump. I mean, this was a resilient tree. And as I walked up to it, I was amazed. I said, I remember picking the apples off of this tree. I remember Papa cutting it down and thinking, we'll never see it again. And here it is, it shot up. And as I examined the branches, there was fruit on them. It was bearing new fruit. And later I was driving down the road, I was thinking about that old apple tree. And I thought about all that it had been through. And I thought about the storm that it had endured and how it had been cut down, but yet it was raised back to life again. And I thought to myself, yet it was still bearing fruit. You see where I'm going with this? It was flawed, but it was fruitful. Amen? That's the kind of Christian that I want to be. No matter what the storms of life may throw at me, no matter how many times I get knocked down, no matter how many ordeals I go through, I want to bear fruit for my Lord Jesus Christ. And as I get to the end, I, as life changes, I may not be able to do what I once was able to do for the Lord, but by golly, I can somehow, someway, still bear fruit for Him. And I want to be fruit-bearing to the very end. 
And so he says, pray for superior works and pray for spiritual wisdom. Pray for a satisfying walk. And then we're finished here. Verse 11, number 4 on the prayer list. He says, pray for a stronger will. Pray for a stronger will. Look what he says in verse 11. He says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Does that sound like an iron will to you or what? For all endurance and patience with joy. So he says here, I'm praying for you, Colossians, that you'll have a stronger will to endure. He prayed that they would have still resolve to make it through the trials of life, the adversity of life, with joy in their hearts. One commentator makes this point that Paul uses two similar words here to describe the will. He uses endurance, which is connected to problems, and then he uses patience, which is connected to people. And isn't that where all of our adversity comes from in life? Problems and people, and you need both. Problems will beat you down and people will kick you while you're down, but if you have Jesus Christ and you have that determined will, you see what Paul is talking about here is the ability to hang tough for the Lord for the long haul. Amen? You see, we think faith in God, it means doing big things for God. Being a big time preacher. Or being a big time missionary or a singer or writing a book or doing something, quote unquote, big for God. We think that's what faith is all about. And certainly there is faith in all of that. But you know what I found out about the Christian walk? The Christian walk is more about consistent day-to-day living for the Lord over a long period of time. It's taking a little step of faith every single day with that determined will that I'm going to serve Christ one day at a time, trusting in His power that through several small steps of obedience, that's going to accrue to a whole life offered to the Lord. And I pray that God would give us all a stronger will. Because one thing the past year has done is it has beat down, discouraged, knocked the wind out of, and deceived the people of God. Have you ever lived through a year like we had last year and seen the toll that it took on the church? I'm talking about there are some churches who close their doors and they're never going to open again. There's some churches right now that are barely hanging on by a thread. And how timely that we read this message today because Paul says, pray for a stronger will that you'll have endurance to make it across the finish line. I'm praying for God's people and for this church that we would not give up on each other. Don't give up on me. I'm not giving up on you. Friend, we're going to need each other like never before because I believe in the coming days we're going to be tested like we've never been tested before. So this needs to be a house of prayer where we don't gossip about each other, but we lift each other up in prayer and say, Brother, What are you facing this week? Sister, what battle are you facing? Well, let's take it to the Lord in prayer because I need you and you need me because we're both headed to the same home. So let's hold each other up until we get there. Praise God. I need you to pray for the power to preach because you need the preaching so you can feed on the Word of God and stay faithful. 
We need the patience of Job. We need the perseverance of Noah. We need the courage of Daniel. The boldness of Peter and John. The heart of David. The passion of Paul. The mind of Christ. And a stronger will. Warren Wiersbe gave this interesting comment. He said, the Christian life is like a postage stamp. He said this, consider the postage stamp. Its usefulness consists in the ability to stick to one thing until it gets there. <laughs> and that's Christian life. Hold on one more day. Let me tell you something. One thing I know from over 10 years now being in the ministry, you don't know how close that person is who walks into church on Sunday morning. You don't know how close they are to giving up. So pray for a stronger will. Amen? Let me finish with this. The ministry will chew you up and spit you out, won't it? That's why the Bible says don't grow weary in well-doing. If you have had a ministry in church for long enough, it'll suck you dry after a while. There's some mornings I get up, I don't feel like in my flesh preaching. That's just honest. You teach a Sunday school class, you struggle to find the words to put in that lesson to help your students. You serve in a ministry. You say, well, I'm just going to sit this, this one out. I'll let somebody else do it. You get tired, right? You get burnt out. Let me leave you with a story to encourage you to have that stronger will. Recently, I was reading about a man who had a Sunday school class of young men. One day, this, this Sunday school teacher went to his mailbox. True story. He found a letter from a young man who had once been a student in his class. The young man was now a soldier in the U.S. Army, and he was serving, I believe at the time it was, in Iraq. In the letter, the young man had written to this Sunday school teacher of his. Here's what the letter said when he opened it. He said, thank you for planting those seeds of faith in my life. Thank you for continually praying for me during my deployment. I wanted you to know that during a recent chapel service, I finally decided to give my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I wanted you to know that it all started in your little Sunday school class. The story goes that that man broke down right there at his mailbox. He started weeping. Not only because the letter touched him, but because that very day, he was headed later on that afternoon to a memorial service for that young man who died on a foreign battlefield. Later that man rushed back to his pastor and he said, Pastor, can I have my old class back? I didn't realize the impact that it was having and I want to redeploy I want to go back to teaching those young men again. Praying for you, church, for spiritual wisdom, for a stronger will, for a satisfying walk. All these things that Paul mentioned in that passage. I'm praying for you that God will give you all that you need to make it through the challenges of this coming year. Because, friend, we're going to need it. Amen? Let's pray.
Lord, we love you today. We thank you, God, for this meeting. We thank you, Lord, for the way that you speak to us through your word. It's always timely. It's always appropriate. It's always needed. And I pray that as we study Paul's prayer list here, Lord, that we would apply these truths to our own life. Make us better partners in prayer as we lift up fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and as we pray for ourselves, Lord. Let's take these things and let's use them for our own spiritual growth. Lord, we need you. We all sense that in the coming days there's darkness. That there's hard times ahead. But Lord, we know you and that you've not changed. And that, Lord, you have ordained our lives for such a time as this. So, Lord, help us to live for Jesus Christ. No matter what may come, we pray this prayer in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.